The Stories Anna's Story Ready for Action I have to tell you how great my week was. I know you said that Luke is too young to do problem solving, but I tried it anyway. I started by saying, you don't like to be rushed in the morning. You are not in the mood to get dressed right after you wake up. It's no fun at all. Luke nodded. Then I said, I have an idea. Do you want to get dressed at night, after your bath, and sleep in your next day clothes? Then you could wake up ready to go with more time to play. Luke agreed. His daytime clothes are soft, pull-up pants and t-shirts, so they're comfortable to sleep in. This has transformed my life. Now my day starts without a huge battle. Michael's story. Lego Lament. Jamie likes to play with Legos in the morning before school. The problem is that he doesn't like to stop playing when we have to leave. It's always, just one more piece. I'm almost finished. I get in huge fights with him about it. In the past, I'd give him the consequence of not being allowed to play with Legos in the afternoon if he refused to listen to me in the morning. That didn't help. It just made him grumpy in the afternoon. Last week, I tried problem solving. Here's my worksheet. The problem. It's fun to play with Legos in the morning, but it's very hard to stop in the middle. It's frustrating not to get to finish what you're building. Dad gets mad when he is late for work. Ideas. Set a timer and stop playing when the timer goes off. Take the Legos in the car with you. Use only 10 pieces of Legos in the morning. Let the Lego guy sit next to your plate and watch you eat. Don't play with Legos in the morning at all. Do something else that's not as frustrating to stop. To tell you the truth, we never even got around to picking solutions. Jamie was happy to talk about it for a while. Then he lost interest and wandered away. I figured we'd pick it up another time. I was going to object to Legos in the car. I can just imagine the tantrums when pieces fall under the seats. And I was ready to take action to protect myself, not punish, by saying, Look, this just isn't working. Legos aren't a morning toy. Let's keep them for the afternoon when you have lots of time. But it never came to that. After the unfinished problem-solving session, Jamie didn't play with Legos in the morning anymore. Somehow, just talking about it seems to have solved it. At least for now, and that's good enough for me. Maria's Story Another Benjamin on the Floor Benjamin can dress himself, but some mornings he just refuses. Last Monday, he took off his pajamas and then went running around the house naked. I took his clothes—shirt, underpants, pants, and socks—and I laid them out on the floor like a little person on the floor, and I said, Look, Benjamin, there's a little Benjamin on the floor. Benjamin ran over and lay down on top of the clothes. Then he put the underpants on, put the pants on, put his arms through, and put the shirt on. It was so easy, at least that time. Reminder. Morning Madness. 1. Be playful. Shoe talking. I don't want that foot in me, no! Parent talking. You'd better get on Luke's foot right now. You're making him late.
Two, offer a choice. Do you want to walk to the car the regular way or backward? Three, put the child in charge. Can you set the timer? I need you to let me know when it's time to go out the door. Four, try problem solving. It's not easy to remember all the things we have to do in the morning. What do you think about making a chart? Five, acknowledge feelings. It isn't easy to get out of a warm, cozy bed. It's nice to snuggle for a few more minutes. Chapter 3. Sibling Rivalry. Give the baby back. Joanna. Michael opened the session. He looked somber without his usual happy grin. We thought we were done with sibling rivalry. Jamie was pretty happy to be a big brother once he got over the shock of having a new baby. And now that Kara's too, she's demanding a lot more of our attention and getting into his things, and he's beginning to resent it. He shuts his door in her face, grabs things from her, tells her what to do, says no to her a lot, and talks down about her. I know part of the problem is that he's getting less of our attention. Jan started working full-time. I take the morning shift with the kids and catch up on my work after dinner. So when Jan reads to Jamie at bedtime, Kara's on the floor playing with his toys. It's not the relaxed, cozy bedtime it used to be. Maria was nodding. Well, at least you had a couple of good years. Benjamin has never accepted Isabel. He gets angry at the sight of her. He's always telling us to give the baby back because her diaper smells and she yells too much. I've tried telling him that we all had smelly diapers when we started out. And as for yelling, well, Benjamin is the prince of yelling. But it never helps. What's driving me crazy lately is that he wakes her up from naps. He says he doesn't want her to sleep. It makes him mad that I shush him and that we can't go out while she's napping. But still, you'd think he'd appreciate having his mom to himself for that time. It's so frustrating. And upsetting. I'm afraid to even admit this, but he says things like, why don't you chop her up? The group gave a collective groan. Those are painful words to hear, I said. They sure are said Maria. We're supposed to be family. Family is the most important thing. They need to love and support each other. I tell them that every day. Okay, that's what we want, I agreed. Now we have to think about how to get there. And you know what I'm going to say. We have to start with accepting feelings. This is one of those times when you have to bite the bullet and accept some truly awful feelings. Big brotherhood is a burden. The first message he needs to hear from you is that you understand. It isn't easy having to share your parents with a smelly baby or a two-year-old pest. The more we try to convince our kids that it's not so bad, the harder they'll work to convince us that it is indeed that bad. So what am I supposed to do? Asked Maria. Talk to him about killing the baby? I can't stomach that. You don't have to use a child's violent language 
to let him know you understand how he feels. You can model a different way to express strong feelings. Boy, it's not always easy having a little sister around. It can be really frustrating. I'll bet sometimes you wish you could be the only child. It's annoying to have to be quiet when the baby is napping. You'll be happy when she's old enough not to need a nap anymore. Two-year-olds can be hard on things. They just don't understand how to be gentle. It can make you mad. If the mood is right, he might enjoy hearing your fond memories of some of his own notorious exploits as a baby. When you were two, you used to get into the cabinets and pull out every single pot and pan and bang on them with the serving spoons. When I tried to stop you from climbing onto the roof of the car, you screamed and cried because you loved climbing so much. I remember when you poured an entire box of Cheerios all over the floor and then crunched around in them like they were fall leaves. The second message he needs is that he hasn't been displaced. He may want some babying himself. We're always telling our older children what big boys or girls they are, but they need to know they can still be your baby, too. They haven't been pushed aside. You can say something like, Come here and sit on my lap and be my baby. Oh my gosh, look at you. You are the strongest baby in the world. A super baby who can run and jump and climb a tree. The third message is to help him see himself as the kind, helpful older brother you have glimpsed in the past. Go out of your way to appreciate positive interactions with his younger sibling. Yeah, sometimes it is a pain in the neck to have a baby sister, but sometimes it's not so bad. I remember when the two of you were running around the kitchen table and you got Kara so excited she couldn't stop laughing and she peed on the floor. Isabel sure is lucky to have you as a big brother. You really know how to cheer her up when she's sad. She loves it when you blow soap bubbles for her to pop, make block towers for her to crash down, read picture books to her, play peekaboo under the table, push her stroller over bumps. Help her get her socks on. You can also put him in a position where he sees himself in a new light, as a helper rather than a rival. Jamie, I need to put away the groceries right now. Can you read a board book to Kara to keep her out of the refrigerator? Benjamin, I need Isabel to wake up. Can you do it for me? She likes it when you wake her up by patting gently on her stomach. Kara is in a wrecking mood. I need someone who can build a good block tower for her to knock over. We have some cookies for snack time. Benjamin, can you pick two good ones for Isabel? Even in the middle of an episode where he's tormenting his sister, instead of criticizing him for being a beast, Benjamin, there you go again, teasing your sister. This has to stop you can state the positive. Uh-oh, Isabel is starting to melt down. Benjamin, you know how to make your sister feel better when she's upset. What do you think we should do? But what if your older child is still feeling displaced by the little invader? 
When you have a hankering to coo and fuss over the baby in front of her brother, you can use the opportunity to coo about all the marvelous things Big Brother did today. The baby won't mind, and your older child will enjoy hearing stories about himself instead of feeling resentful of the attention the little one is getting. In your best lilting baby talk, you'll say, My little boo-boo, do you know what your big brother Benjamin did today? He made us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all by himself. Yes, he did, my little pumpkin. He climbed up on the counter to get the plates from the cabinet, and he smeared the peanut butter with a knife, and he put lots and lots of grape jelly on top. It was so tasty. He will teach you to do that one day. Yes, he will. While you're doing this rather intricate dance, you may feel tempted to throw in a little comparison to make the older child feel better about not being babied. It can seem like a good idea to reassure the older sibling of his superiority. You're a big boy. You can climb the stairs and the baby can't. You can get in the car seat all by yourself. You know how to bake cookies with me. The baby can't do that. This kind of talk is risky. The baby won't stay helpless forever. We don't want an older child to feel threatened by a younger sibling's progress. His self-esteem shouldn't rest on the shaky foundation of the baby's ineptitude. Instead, tell him how lucky that baby is to have a big brother who is such a skilled seatbelt buckler, and that soon he will be teaching his little sister how to buckle herself in, or climb the stairs, or bake a cookie. We want him to feel proud of his competence and of his position as a benevolent helper. And finally, I hate to say it, but kids don't care about our work schedule, bills, and emails. They want our undivided time and attention. If it's at all possible to carve out, say, a half hour just to be with a child who's feeling deprived, it can make a big difference. You can talk to your child about what he wants to do with that fatherly, sonly time, as my little brother used to call it. Part of the pleasure is in the planning. What should we do for our special time? Do you want to cook something together? Make Play-Doh? Read the way things work? Or wrestle on the bed? Be sure to make a specific time that your child can look forward to. Six o'clock means very little to a three-year-old. It works better to say, after dinner, or as soon as the baby takes her morning nap. When angry feelings do boil over and you have to protect a sibling from physical attack, it's important to take action without reinforcing negative feelings. While grabbing up the aggressor, resist the temptation to say, there you go again, you're too rough, now you made the baby cry, that's mean. Instead, snatch him away without insulting his character. I can see you're angry. I can't let anyone get hurt. We need to separate. I have one last pitfall to warn you against. One of my own biggest problems with keeping harmony between the siblings was that I tended to take the younger one's side. Oh, Dan, just give it to him. He's only two years old. You need to be patient. Don't be so rough. You're hurting him. Be nice. 
Without fail, this would incite mutual hatred and resentment. Dan would angrily defend himself. But I had it first. I barely touched him. It's unfair. You always take his side. And Sam, the little one, would get even more worked up. He'd hide behind my leg while I was defending him and then lunge out and try to kick his older brother in a fit of righteous rage. It helps to hold back that first protect the baby remark. Resist the urge to demonize the older or stronger child. If you can describe the problem from both points of view, it will make a big difference in the mood. Dan wants to build something with his blocks without the loose pieces being moved around, and Sam wants to touch the blocks too. This is a tough problem. What can we do? Notice that I also resisted the temptation to be dismissive of the problem itself. I wanted to say, Oh, gee whiz, it's only a few blocks. Can't you just get along? But it's more helpful to be respectful of the problem. Building that block tower is just as important to a four-year-old as your work is to you. No matter how brilliantly and consistently you carry out these suggestions, you can't expect to eliminate sibling rivalry completely. There will still be conflict. But you can help change the mood and make it easier for kids to return more quickly to fond feelings about their siblings after the conflicts are over. The Stories Michael's Stories, a trilogy. Pros and Cons This new approach is already making a difference. I've been spending more time acknowledging Jamie's feelings about being a big brother. It works best to talk to him when he's not already frustrated. We had a good conversation about the pros and cons of having a little sister. A few hours later, he said, I love you, Dad. Out of the blue. Something that doesn't happen that often. I think it's a sign he felt heard. Jamie reflects on the past. Jamie. Dad, my life used to be totally different before Kara came. Me thinking I'm about to hear a list of complaints. Oh, how is it different? Jamie, sounding surprised. Well, it's so much better, of course. Color Wars. Jamie wanted each of them to color on their own side of the paper. Kara wanted to color on Jamie's side, of course. Me, oh, this is a tough problem. Jamie wants Kara to color on her own side, and Kara wants to color on both sides. Jamie. Oh, well, she's two. She doesn't understand yet. He lets her color on his side. Maria's story. The Baby Whisperer. I have to tell you, I really went all out with the idea of accepting the negative feelings this week. I told Benjamin some of the things you said in the group about how it's a big pain in the neck to have a little sister. He loved it. He had a long list of suggestions for what to do about it, too. Instead of scolding him, I offered to write them down. Here are some of them. Screech her away. Make her spin out and whip her away. Grunk her away. Whip her away in a fast jet plane. He was very satisfied with his list. Later on, when it was time to wake Isabel up from her nap, 
Benjamin insisted that he be the one to do it because he does it gently. That is one thing he likes to do, and she really does wake up smiling when he pats her stomach, so I had been mentioning that a lot. Now he's the only one who is allowed to wake the baby since, according to him, he's the expert. I still get tired of hearing all the negative things he has to say. I can only stand so much. So I tell him my ears are tired and he can draw me a picture so that I can see how mad he is. He did this once. It was a lot of crazy scribble. I put it on the refrigerator and said, Thank you for showing me these mad feelings. Joanna's story. Down for the count. I threw my back out when Dan was three and a half and Sam was only one and a half. I was flat on my back on the couch, praying that nothing would go terribly wrong. I did my most desperately brilliant parenting that week. When I heard crying from another room, I didn't allow myself to ask the obvious question, Dan, what did you do to your brother? Instead, I called out in my best neutral tone, I hear crying. Do you need help in there? No, it's okay. I'm fixing it. The crying stopped. Phew. All day long, instead of physically intervening in their conflicts, which I was helpless to do, I stayed neutral and put Dan in charge. It was the smoothest day ever. Every conflict was resolved peacefully, and I didn't have to call the fire department to hose anybody down as I had feared. They say that necessity is the mother of invention, but I claim that desperation is the mother of great parenting. Anna's story. Breaking news. When I was pregnant with Luke, I really worried about telling Anton. The one time we'd talked about having a little brother or sister for him, he was completely against the idea. No baby! When we finally told him, we did two things that helped a lot. One was that we said we wanted him to be the first to know about the news. He took great pride that he was so important. He actually asked us not to tell anyone else yet. I could see he wanted to enjoy feeling special. The other was that we asked him for ideas about how to handle the big changes in our family. He came up with a good one. Buy bunk beds. He would sleep on the top, and the new baby could have the bottom. He'd asked for bunk beds before, but we always told him this kind of bed was for two siblings. We thanked him for his helpful idea. I didn't think of it this way at the time, but I guess we made Anton feel like he was in charge and solving problems even before Luke was born. Tony's story. Good guy gripe. This was amazing. All I did was accept one little feeling. Easiest fix ever. Jenna. So I will be the good guy and you will be the bad guy. Ella. Starting to cry. I don't want to be the bad guy. Me. This is a tough problem. Both of you want to play Ghostbusters, but no one wants to be the bad guy. Jenna. Okay, I'll be the bad guy. Joanna's story. Selfish son. At age five and a half, Dan got a shiny new bike. 
the whole family went to the bike store to buy it. The day was all about Dan. The plan was for three-year-old Sam to inherit Dan's old bike. When we got home with Dan's gleaming prize, Sam went to touch Dan's old bike. Dan yelled, That's not your bike. It's my bike. I felt a flash of rage at him. What kind of selfish brat have I raised? I started to explain to him that he couldn't have two bikes and leave his brother with none. Sam wasn't even getting a new bike, just Dan's old second-hand one. Dan covered his ears with his hands. I'm not going to listen to you no matter what you say. A phrase from my mother's book popped into my head. Ears can hear only what emotions will allow. My anger drained away and I took Dan on my lap. I have a sad boy. That bike was really special to you. Dan began to sob. Grandma and Grandpa gave me that bike when I was three. It's like my turtle shirt. It's too small for me, but it's still mine. Remember they tied the happy birthday note to a string? And I had to follow the string to find the bike in the carpet room? And I learned to ride without training wheels on that bike. Sam was crying too at this point. A combination of having been yelled at by his brother and seeing his brother in tears had sent him over the edge. I have two sad boys, I said. Dan jumped off my lap and started making up a song. I'm the magic man, and dancing in a goofy way in front of Sam to cheer him up. I wanted to explain to Dan that he still needed to give his bike to Sam, but the two boys were both happy now. It was a moment of grace, and I was reluctant to bring up the conflict again. Sam did it for me. He said, well, you can still touch the bike, Dan. I asked Dan if he wanted to call his grandparents to tell them about the new bike. He liked that idea. I listened in on his side of the conversation. Well, I already finished riding on my tiger bike. And now Sam has the tiger bike, which is hard to give up, you know. But my new bike has 20-inch wheels. After the phone call, Dan asked me, Can I have the tiger bike back after Zach, who was six months old, uses it so that I can give it to my children? Only a half hour before, I was disgusted with my son's selfish, greedy behavior. Once his feelings were acknowledged, his heart was full of generosity. He'd felt sentimental about his grandparents' loving gift. And now he was contemplating passing it on, not only to his younger brothers, but to his own future child. Reminder. Sibling rivalry. Number one. Accept feelings. It can be frustrating to have a baby sister. Number two. Give wishes in fantasy. Let the older child pretend to be a baby. Come sit on my lap and be my super baby. Number three, describe what you see. Notice and appreciate the positive interactions between siblings. You figured out how to cheer up your sister when she was crying.
Number four. Put the child in charge so that he has an opportunity to see himself differently. Can you pick a board book for the baby? She likes it when you read to her. Number five. Reconnect with your child. Plan for special one on one time. Would you like to make cookies when the baby takes her nap? Or snuggle up and read your pop up truck book? Tell the older child stories about his baby days. I remember when you. Number six. Take action without insult. Avoid casting a child in the role of aggressor. We need to separate. I don't want anyone getting hurt. Number seven. Try problem solving. Resist the urge to take sides and don't minimize the problem. Jamie wants to build by himself, and Kara wants to touch the blocks. This is a tough problem. We need ideas. Chapter 4 Shopping with Children Mayhem at the Market Julie Maria opened up today's session. It seems like I spend a major part of my life telling Benjamin he can't have something he's begging for. Every time we go to the grocery store, every time we have to buy a birthday present for another kid. I used to like shopping. Now I wish I could avoid it altogether. It's hard for kids, I said. We're constantly taking them to stores where they see all this stuff laid out in front of them, and they see us buying that stuff. They don't understand about working for money and paying bills. They want to do what we're doing take stuff off shelves and bring it home. I get it, sighed Tony. But does that mean we should just let them do what we're doing, but with the brain of a four year old? Let's see. I would end up broke and homeless, deeply in debt to the dentist because of all the candy Jenna bought and living out of a battery-operated Barbie car. We can give them some choices, though, Michael said. Yeah, but do you really think that'll stop them from begging for junk food? Challenged Maria. If they think they have the right to make their own decisions, every aisle will be torture. We can always put limits on the choices, I said. We could ask them to pick out two different kinds of pasta. They could put their energy into choosing the different shapes. And how about produce? They could pick out three of the best looking apples. But it's nice to have some open ended decisions to make, too. I used to tell my kids they could have one free choice out of the whole produce section. That was a very engrossing challenge for them. I remember one time Asher settled on an orange bell pepper. It was more expensive than the green ones, but it was worth it. I give my kids a small allowance, said Sarah. I got tired of agonizing over each little request. On the one hand, it would make shopping easier to give them everything they want, but on the other hand, I didn't want them to get in the habit of getting everything they want. This way, they have to agonize over what to spend their precious dollar on. Much better. You can also give kids a job, said Tony. That's what works for me. I have my kids help me make the shopping list, 
and they each have certain things to look for. Maria grumbled. I don't always have time to make grocery shopping an exciting activity. Sometimes I just need the food. Yeah, well, I had no great remedy for this complaint. Let's face it, it's never going to be efficient shopping with children. Children don't really make any part of life more efficient. But if you can get them involved at least some of the time, they'll be more cooperative most of the time. Okay, but how would you do that at a toy store? Anna asked. I'm not going to buy my kids a new toy every time I buy a birthday present for one of their friends. Well, that is one of the harder challenges of being a kid, I said. Being dragged through a toy store and getting to look at all the marvelous toys and choose one for another child, but be scolded if you want one yourself. Think about it. If you had to devise a kid torture, that might be it. I reminded the group about the wish list. When a kid pines for something, you can write it down. Instead of saying, don't be so spoiled, you just got a Lego set last week. You're never satisfied. Try, wow, that looks pretty cool. You really like the spaceships. Take out the pen and add to his list, Star Wars Jumbo Lego set. Keep the list stuck to your refrigerator where he can check on it and keep it updated. Some items will get crossed off and others will be keepers. By the time a birthday rolls around, you'll have a useful reference sheet. If there are things on the list that are beyond the scope of birthdays, my sister always wanted a horse, you can still talk about them and plan for the future, which may include barns full of horses. It also helps to tell your kids ahead of time, we're only shopping for Elena's birthday present today, nothing for us. Be sure to let me know if you see something you want to put on your wish list. The Stories Tony's story. To buy or not to buy. My kids love the hands-on science museum in the city, but I dread the exit. To leave the museum, you're forced to walk through the gift shop. It's an effective and cruel design. You've got overstimulated children, expensive toys at a kid's eye level, and worn-out parents. My kids always beg me to buy them some overpriced gadget. I don't usually cave in, but it can get ugly. I don't feel great about myself or my kids by the time we get out of there. I didn't have much hope that the write-it-down tool would do much good, but I figured it couldn't hurt to give it a try. So, on our last visit, right before we walked into the shop, I told them, we're not going to buy anything in the gift shop today, but if you see something you like, let me know so I can write it on your wish list. I pulled out a piece of paper and a pen, and they ran around admiring everything and telling me what they wanted on their lists. It was the first time I've gotten out of there without the usual whining and misery. Anna's Story The Lovely List When Anton wants something, he wants it now. That's typical of kids on the spectrum. This time, it was chicken nuggets and ice cream. I didn't have those items in the house, and there was no way I was going shopping the day before Thanksgiving and facing the crowds. He was winding up into a tantrum, so I decided to try writing down what he wanted. Anton said he wanted to do it. I was amazed, because he's never volunteered to write before. It's such a struggle for him. 
He began to construct his list, consulting me frequently about spelling, ice cream, chicken nuggets, french fries, sausages, and samosa. It took him half an hour to write those words, but he stuck with it. It's beautiful, and it's still hanging on my fridge. In the past, when we'd go shopping, Anton would insist on running away from me to the frozen food aisle, taking ice pops out of the freezer, opening them and eating them, and I would run behind him like a monster mother, screaming, no, 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 no. This time, I gave Anton his list and told him to put all of the items in the cart. Well, lo and behold, he did. I was busy trying to find an unbruised avocado and a jar of curry, while Anton, to my great surprise, was busy running up and down the aisles, gathering all of the things on his list. Unbelievable. When I looked into the grocery cart, there were a few extra bags of french fries and a few extra cartons of ice cream, but he very agreeably returned the extras. This has become our new shopping routine. Sarah's Story The Very Long Ride I had a five-hour drive to get home from a weekend visiting my parents. When we were almost home, I stopped at a supermarket because I realized I was coming back to an empty refrigerator. The kids were out of control in the store, running up and down the aisles and yelling. They didn't respond to any of my attempts to get them to calm down. Finally, it occurred to me that they needed to move. I don't know why it took me so long to figure it out. I think the road vibration numbed my brain. I took them outside and told them to run up and down the sidewalk in front of the store three times, then hop, jump, skip, then go backward, and then zigzag around the poles. I only went back in after they were semi-exhausted. Reminder. Shopping with children. 1. Put the child in charge. Have him help make a shopping list and gather groceries to put in the cart. Give her an allowance. You can bring your dollar to the grocery store in case you see something you want to buy for yourself. 2. Offer a choice. Should we get the spiral pasta or the elbow pasta? You pick. 3. Acknowledge feelings with a wish list. Thomas's wish list. Star Wars Jumbo Lego set. 4. Give information. Let children know what to expect. We're going shopping for Elena's birthday present today. Let's bring the wish list in case you see something you'd like for yourself. Chapter 5. Lies, Kids and the Creative Interpretation of Reality Joanna Can we talk about lying? asked Tony. Last week I caught Jenna with chocolate all over her face. When I asked her if she'd eaten the cake, she completely denied it. She knew she wasn't allowed to touch it. I bought it because we were having guests for dinner. I told her she'd better tell the truth or she'd be in even bigger trouble, but she stuck to her story and got all teary. I made her go up to her room after dinner and miss dessert. I know you don't believe in punishment, but if there's one rule I consider sacred, it's telling the truth. 
The sooner my kids learn that, the better. Tony's question got me thinking about why lying pushes our buttons. After all, kids misbehave in all sorts of ways. They kick, they bite, they yell in the library, they crayon the wall, they resist bedtime like their lives depend on it. We understand that these are things kids do. We don't really worry that they'll grow up to be violent, loud insomniacs with a penchant for vandalism. But when kids lie to us, often we do worry. We see it as a moral offense. Somehow we've failed to teach good character to our children. When a child tells a lie, it may help to remember that it is both common and normal. In fact, the latest research shows that learning to lie is an important milestone in a child's cognitive development. Children lie for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they lie out of embarrassment. I'm not the one who pooped in the playhouse. Sometimes they lie to get their own way. I didn't have a turn. Often they lie to avoid the unpleasant consequence of facing an angry parent. I did not throw a ball in the living room and break the lamp. In many instances, the lie represents a wish. Although it's normal for children to experiment with the truth, we still want them to learn the difference between the truth and a lie and why they should stick to the former most of the time. The challenge for the adult is to resist the temptation to shame the child or to label him a liar. I turned to Tony. Look at it this way. If you see your son with a bat in his hand standing next to a freshly broken window, there's no need to ask. Did you break that window? Did you use the bat in the house even though I just told you not to? That road leads to a traffic jam of denial. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Now you're lying. Am not. I'm going to have to punish you more if you don't tell the truth. But I didn't. The dog did it. Stop it. That's not even a good lie. Dogs don't break windows. So what is helpful? Instead of accusing and interrogating, state the obvious. In the case of the purloined dessert, you can simply say, I see you ate the cake. If she protests, don't call her a liar. Instead, you can accept the feeling behind the protest. It's not easy to resist eating chocolate cake when it's sitting right in front of you. I bet you wish you hadn't eaten it. Let her know how you feel. I'm very upset that the cake was eaten. I was going to serve it for dessert when our friends came for dinner tonight. Make a plan for the future. Next time you're tempted, let me know. I'm sure we can find a way to help you wait. And you might also do some planning of your own. The next time I buy chocolate cake, I'll put it out of sight until it's time for dessert. Make it easier for your child to practice honesty. Adjust your expectations and manage the environment. If possible, help her make amends. We're going to need something for dessert when our friends come over. Can you get out some cookies and arrange them nicely on a plate? It still seems like something's missing here, said Tony. 
I get that you're guiding kids toward being truthful rather than labeling them as liars. But meanwhile, in your scenario, the kid told a lie and there was no consequence. What's to discourage her from lying next time? How is she going to learn that lying is wrong? Tony, I said, you summed it up beautifully. I don't think I can improve on your words. We are guiding kids toward being truthful rather than labeling them as liars. Lying is a natural stage of development. To punish them for it is counterproductive. It would be like punishing a baby for pooping in her diaper. It's natural. But we want to help them move on to the next stage. Let me give you a few snapshots of my son learning about telling an inconvenient truth. Dan at age two, the mysterious stranger. Dan was playing with his little friend Ian while his mother and I chatted, not paying close attention. Suddenly, Ian was on the floor wailing. Danny pushed me! I hustled Dan away and asked him what happened. Dan replied somberly. A bad man pushed Ian down. Clearly, he needed some distancing from this awful deed. Dan at age three, pocket trouble. Dan came in from playing in the backyard with a torn front pocket dangling from his pants. I asked, what happened? Indicating the pocket. Dan gave it some thought and then carefully stated, let's just say a boy ripped it. I couldn't help laughing. He was getting a little closer to putting himself on the spot, but he wasn't quite there yet. Here's his next step. Dan at age four, lesson from a mouse. I was reading The Mouse and the Motorcycle to the kids. We had just finished the chapter in which Ralph, the mouse, borrows the boy's motorcycle and crashes it. He tries to hide his misdeed from the boy, but eventually confesses. The boy is angry, but ultimately forgives the dejected mouse. Dan looked at me very solemnly and said, I'm just like Ralph. How are you like Ralph, I asked. Because you both love motorcycles? No, because we both wrecked something and we were afraid to tell. Oh? I pulled this sheet off the pull-out couch and it ripped. He looked so upset, I tried for a soothing tone. Oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad. It is bad. It's the special sheet, he moaned. The special sheet was the one that the kids had picked out for the sofa bed for when Grandma and Grandpa come to visit. It was very cheap and almost frighteningly colorful with a wild geometric pattern of pink, green, and yellow on a black background. The kids all loved it. Well, let's look at it, I said. Maybe we can fix it. Dan led me to his dresser and pulled the crumpled sheet out of the bottom drawer. It had a ripped corner where the sheet had caught on the metal frame of the sofa bed. I asked Dan if he wanted to sew it up. It was as if a great weight had fallen from his shoulders. He gave an enthusiastic, yes! I showed him how to thread a needle, and he proceeded to make careful stitches until the sheet was almost as good as new. 
Thanks to Ralph the Mouse for his moral guidance. Dan continued in this path of full disclosure with confidence that he could fix almost anything. The burden of secrecy and lies was not for him. He much preferred the relief of laying it all bare. I saved one note from him as an older child. Dan at age 12. Broken wings. We had a few whimsical magnets attached to the refrigerator, birds and bugs with moving wings that we had purchased at an outdoor fair. I went into the kitchen one morning to see a broken bird taped to a piece of paper on the refrigerator with these words. Apology from Dan. I'm so sorry I crushed the wings of this poor little guy when I reached up to get the vitamin C out of the cabinet over the fridge. I realized he is special, and I mourn his death. I hope you find more of these little fridge friends so I can bring them home and acquaint them with our family. Sorrowfully, Dan. It's very hard to learn to tell an uncomfortable truth. We help our children face up to this challenge when we minimize the accusations, let them know we understand how they feel, and show them how to make amends. It's easier to be courageous when there's hope of redemption. The Stories Tony's Story Sugar Between the Sheets Jenna lies at the drop of a hat. And it's not fanciful lying, it's very deliberate. She does it when she wants to get away with something. Last week, I found empty candy wrappers in her bed. She knows she's not allowed to eat in her room. We have trouble with ants. I'm sorry to say I started out with the wrong question. Did you eat candy in bed? No, she denied it vigorously, as usual. I was tempted to call her a liar, but I remembered just in time and shut my mouth and breathed for a minute. Then I said, Look, I can see that there are candy wrappers in your bed and I don't think a little bunny put them there. I know that a candy-loving girl ate some chocolate in bed. I don't like that. I don't want ants in the bed. My rule is, food stays in the kitchen. She came right back at me saying, my rule is, food doesn't stay in the kitchen. There are no ants in my bed. You would be proud of me. I accepted her feelings when I really felt like slapping her and banning candy for a month. I can see that you really like getting all cozy in your bed with your books and stuffed animals and a snack. The problem is, sugar attracts ants. We get them in the kitchen, and I certainly don't want them in your bed. It may take the ants a little time, but they can find those sugar crumbs, even the crumbs that are too tiny to see. She remained defiant. My daughter is tough. I don't care if an ant gets in my bed. Well, I do care, I said, and I am not going to allow candy in the bedrooms. Maybe we can make a cozy nest in the kitchen for you. Jenna looked interested. Can I use the beanbag chair? Hmm, I said. That's easy to wipe off if anything spills on it. Can I put it under the table? That will be cozy. 
I nodded. Hey, why not? And she dragged her beanbag chair under the kitchen table. She ran to her room and came back with a few stuffed animals and crawled under the table. I handed her some pretzel sticks as a housewarming for her new nest. This is the first time a situation like this ended with anything other than punishment and resentment. I have a feeling she'll be less likely to lie to me next time. Julie's Story Paying It Forward Out of the blue, our internet service was shut down. When we called the company, they explained that we'd violated the terms of service agreement because our son, Asher, had used a curse word in a chat room. But when we asked Asher about it, he said he didn't do it. He seemed so genuine in his denial. We figured someone must have gotten his password and used his account. We had to jump through a lot of hoops to get our internet service back. About five months later, Asher confessed that he had lied. He had used the bad word. He was crying as he told us. He'd been carrying around this secret for a long time, and it had been weighing on him. My husband wanted to punish him by taking away his computer privileges for a week, but I talked him out of it. Instead, we talked to Asher about that feeling you get when you do something that a part of you knows is wrong. I said, it can be scary to tell the truth when you feel bad about what you did. But you did tell the truth, even though it wasn't easy. I wasn't sure this was the best way to handle it. I was worried we may have let him off too easy. Here's what convinced me otherwise. A few days after Halloween, long after the chat room confession, Shiriel sneaked into Asher's room, stole some of his Halloween candy, and stuffed it under her bookshelf. When Asher noticed his candy was missing, he asked Shiriel if she knew what happened to it. Shiriel played innocent, but Asher went in her room and immediately noticed the candy under the bookshelf. And you know what he said? Shiriel, maybe you wish you hadn't taken my candy. But if you don't listen to the part of yourself that knows you should tell the truth, you just end up feeling really, really bad about yourself. So it's not worth lying. Then he gave Shiriel a hug and collected his candy. He was so kind to his little sister. I almost wanted to cry. Reminder. Lies. Number one. Describe what you see. Instead of asking or accusing, state the obvious. I see chocolate on your face. Number two. Describe how you feel. I'm upset that the cake was eaten. I was going to serve it for dessert when our friends came for dinner tonight. Number three, acknowledge feelings. It's not easy to resist cake. I bet you wish you hadn't eaten it. Number four, try problem solving. Make a plan for the future. Next time you're tempted, let me know. I'm sure we can find a way to help you wait. Number five, Adjust expectations. Manage the environment instead of the child. Think to yourself, the next time I buy chocolate cake, I'll put it out of sight until it's time for dessert so it's not so tempting. Number six, help the child make amends. We're going to need something for dessert when our friends come over. 
Can you get out some cookies and arrange them nicely on a plate? Chapter 6 Parents Have Feelings Too Julie What about my feelings? Sarah's voice had an uncharacteristic edge. When do those start to count? I'm feeling kind of low in the sympathy department lately. What, Sarah, you? asked Tony. You're endlessly patient and sympathetic. All those little preschoolers wish they could go home with you. I know Jenna and Ella do. They always tell me Sarah never yells at us. Well, it's easier with other people's kids. I don't know. Maybe I'm using up my patience at work. Last week, I wouldn't let Sophia go to a sleepover on a school night, and she started up with, You're mean. You never let me do anything fun. You're always so strict. You never, you always. I hate those words. I know what I'm supposed to say. Oh, gosh, Sophia, it's so disappointing. You were looking forward to a sleepover. It seems like you never get to do fun stuff. I just couldn't do it. I gave her a lecture about how privileged she was and reminded her of the long list of fun things I've been doing for her. She stomped out and everyone was grumpy for the rest of the night. I knew the lecture wasn't going to fly, but I couldn't help myself. I'd have had to bite my tongue so hard it would bleed. Part of me thinks all this accepting feelings is making her self-centered and spoiled. I wouldn't have dared talk to my parents that way. Well, what about your feelings? said Anna. What if you told her your feelings instead of lecturing? I'll bet she could take it. After all, she's seven, not three. What if you said, Sophia, when I hear you never and you always, it makes me mad. It doesn't make me feel like being helpful to you at all. That would have worked better than the lecture, Sarah admitted. I'd probably give advice like that to my students' parents. It's harder to think straight when your own kid is pushing your buttons. Anna was encouraged. Maybe you could say, if you're disappointed, you can tell me. Mom, I'm disappointed. I really, really wanted to go to the sleepover. Sure, if she put it that way. I'd be more in the mood to figure out a solution. Maybe she could go for a while and I could pick her up at bedtime so she could sleep at home and not be exhausted for school. Her friend's school has a different spring break, so her mother doesn't care if they stay up all night giggling and act like sleep-deprived zombies the next day. I like your two-part approach, Anna, I said. First you let her know how you feel and then you give her the words she can use to express herself without irritating you. It can be tricky because you really do have to bite your tongue to some extent. Kids can't take too much disapproval, even when you're gentle about it. The younger they are, the less they can handle. But they do need to know when the words they use result in a resentful parent. That's valuable information. If we take abuse with a sympathetic smile, we're teaching them the wrong lesson. Tony complained. So what you're saying is there's a complex equation 
where we balance tongue-biting and feeling-sharing, and we're supposed to be able to do this calculation when we're really irritated. Yeah, basically, I admitted. Except that you can always go ahead and say the unhelpful thing, and then come back later when you're not so upset and give it another try. That's what I often end up doing. When I'm feeling attacked, I don't usually come up with the perfectly crafted response. But even while I'm yelling, there's a little voice in the back of my head saying, I'm going to fix this later. Kids can be pretty forgiving as long as you don't say anything truly damaging. And don't forget, it takes time to calm down when you're all riled up. You can't just flip a switch. One thing you can do for yourself is to give yourself that time. Tell your kid, I'm too upset to talk right now. We'll talk about this later. Or roar it. Ah! Then take a break if you can. Go for a walk if there's another adult around. Or to your room or the bathroom or wherever you can find refuge. Do whatever it is you do that makes you feel better. Run around the block, do push-ups, put on music, curl up with an understanding dog. You'll come back refreshed and ready to use some tools. You can have a truly miserable interaction with a kid and still come back with a triumphant finish. Here's the bad start. You accuse your kid of acting like a spoiled brat. She counterattacks with, you're mean, I hate you. You both stomp off in a huff. Here's the good finish. You go to your kid's room later that evening when your anger has subsided and say, hey, Sophia, I was really annoyed with you for saying I never let you do anything fun. And you were really annoyed with me for saying no to your sleepover. I'm not annoyed anymore, and I'm ready to talk about different possibilities for a sleepover. Come to the kitchen when you're ready, and we'll figure out a plan that's good for both of us. Then you can sit down and do some problem-solving together. What has the child learned? That when an adult gets angry, it's not the end of the world. It's a temporary condition. Problems that cannot be solved in the heat of the moment can be solved later when calmer, cooler moods prevail. The Stories Maria's Story Bagel Bite I was at the supermarket with Benjamin. He was sitting in the cart eating a bagel while we shopped. When we got to the cereal aisle, he wanted to get down and check out the options. He put his last bit of bagel in my hand and went off on his mission. I popped it in my mouth. Big mistake. When Benjamin got back and realized his terrible loss, he started screaming, you ate my bagel, at the top of his lungs and whacking my leg. Other shoppers were giving me horrified looks. It was awful. I yelled back at him, I don't want to be screamed at and hit. Tell me, mom, I didn't want you to eat my bagel. Next time, please ask before you eat. He repeated those exact words back to me in a pretty loud, mad voice, but at least it sounded civilized and there was no more whacking. So I said back to him, still in a loud voice, thank you for telling me. Next time, I will not eat a bite of your bagel without asking, even if you put it in my hand. I thought you didn't want it anymore, but now I know you did. Then we looked at each other. What now? I asked him if he wanted to go choose another roll or bagel to eat. We went back to the bread aisle, and he picked out an onion roll. I warned him, if you don't want me to take a bite, don't put it in my hand. Just put it in the cart. 
You can have some, Mom. He tore off a piece for me. It was just a small piece, but hey, it felt like a giant leap for mankind. Sarah's story. Let them eat cake without milk. We had ten five-year-olds in our backyard tie-dyeing t-shirts at Jake's birthday party. After we hung up the shirts to dry, we had cake and ice cream. As I was serving, one of the kids started banging his fist on the table and chanting, I want milk! I want milk! The other kids joined in. I was almost mad enough to dump the milk on their heads. Why am I running myself ragged to entertain these rude little brats? Luckily, I couldn't let loose because some of their parents were there, too. I said in a loud voice, I don't like to be yelled at while I'm serving people. If you want milk, you can say, may I please have some milk when you're finished cutting the cake? Nine of the kids stopped banging. They politely repeated my words. I said, sure, and thank you for asking so nicely. They said, you're welcome. It was magical. The tenth kid, the one who had started it in the first place, kept on banging and chanting. I didn't serve him any milk. I guess he wasn't so thirsty. A 90% success rate is good enough for me. I think it was important that I stood by my words. If I had told them how I felt but still served them while they were banging, they wouldn't have taken me seriously. Tony's story. Flower power. I let the twins talk me into baking cookies. What a mess. Can I tell you how easy it is to spill flour and how instantly it turns into glue as soon as it hits a wet spot on the counter and the floor and the stove? Well, anyway, the girls were being pretty obnoxious. They kept shoving each other and saying, me first, no me first, for every task, adding ingredients, stirring, spooning out the batter. Finally, I kind of roared at them, hey, when I let you make cookies, I don't want to hear me first and see shoving. I want to hear thank you, Mom, and let's take turns going first. Well, they parroted my words right back to me and started taking turns without a fuss. I can't believe it was so easy. All this time, I've wasted telling them not to be rude when I should have just told them what I expect. Michael's story. Wasted day. Jamie and I decided to have a special father and son day. We had his favorite breakfast, pancakes. I took him shopping for craft supplies and seeds for his garden. And then to one of those fast food restaurants with a play area for kids. That was a sacrifice. I hate those places. To top it off, I took him to the movies. When we went into the movie, it was still daylight. But when we came out, it was dark. Jamie started this angry crying that he does. He kept saying, you wasted the whole day. I was so mad, but I still used my tools. I said, hey, when I take you shopping and out to eat and then to the movies, it makes me mad to hear you wasted the day. I want to hear, thank you, dad. You want to guess how well that went over? 
like a lead balloon. He cried all the way home, and I fumed all the way. After I handed him, still sobbing, to my wife for bedtime, I had some time to calm down. I went into his room and sat on his bed. Jamie, I had a really nice day with you. I think you didn't want this day to end. He said, yeah, and snuggled up to me. At the movie theater, he was too upset to hear about my feelings. But I was upset too. I really like the idea that I can come back later with a better response when I feel more sympathetic. We turned a bad ending into a good one. Reminder. Parents have feelings too. 1. Express your feelings strongly. Instead of you're being rude, try, I don't like being told I'm mean. It makes me mad. 2. Tell them what they can do instead of what they can't. You can tell me, Mommy, I'm disappointed. I wanted to go. 3. Don't forget the basics. Give yourself and your child time to recover. I'll talk to you about it after dinner. Right now, I'm too upset. Chapter 7 Tattling Snitches and Whistleblowers Joanna I've about had it with my twins, Tony exploded. They are in some kind of phase, at least I pray that it's a phase, where every little tiff gets dumped on me. Mommy, Jenna ate a cookie before lunch. What are you going to do to her? Ella didn't take her shoes off inside. She broke the rule. Jenna touched the stove dial and you told us not to. Ella poked me and you said no poking. I've tried punishing the rule breaker, but that only makes them more vigilant to point out every misdeed. It's like they're vying to see who can get more dirt on the other. I've tried telling them that they shouldn't tattle and I'm not interested, but that doesn't seem to help either. They just get louder and accuse me of being unfair. They'll actually hurt each other if I leave them to their own devices. That's been a dilemma for me, too, said Sarah. On the one hand, I don't want my kids to tattle. I want them to feel like they're on the same side. On the other hand, I feel a bit hypocritical if I'm making rules and then not enforcing them. And I certainly don't want to discourage them from telling on their siblings if there's something dangerous going on. It happens at the preschool, too. A few girls have appointed themselves the teacher's little helpers. They come running to me every playtime with tales of who pushed who on the playground or who ate half the green crayon. Sometimes it's useful, but mostly it's annoying. Why not just make a rule that you can only tell on your sibling or classmate if someone is going to get hurt? Offered Michael. I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that, said Maria. When I was a kid, we didn't tell our parents anything. I want my kids to trust that they can tell me about whatever bothers them, even if it's trivial. Besides, can we really depend on kids to have good judgment about what's dangerous enough to tell? If they think I'll disapprove of them for tattling, they might not tell me something important. Well, 
I know that I do not want to know every little thing, declared Tony. Sisters, especially twins, should be loyal to each other. I always tell them that. I'm wondering, what's behind the impulse to tattle? I asked the group. Power, shot back Michael. You can get your sibling in trouble. I know that's why I used to tattle on my older brother when I was a kid. He was so much stronger and smarter than me, and he'd lord it over me. It was the only way I could get even. I had the power to get him punished. I think for the kids at school, it may be that they're just trying to please, ventured Sarah. I mean, we're always emphasizing how important rules are, and then we get annoyed when they try to help enforce them. It's got to be a little confusing. I had to admit that my sympathies were with Maria. When my son was in a mixed first and second grade program, the teachers told the students that they should only interrupt a teacher during independent activity time if someone was bleeding. There was a recurring problem with older children bullying the younger ones. Dan complained to me about it, but he never asked a teacher for help because he took their words literally. No one was bleeding, he explained to me very seriously, so I'm not allowed to tell. I'm uncomfortable with the idea of teaching children that it's not okay to tell us things that bother them. Sometimes it takes bravery to tell on somebody. Don't we all wish somebody had tattled about the corner cutting that led to the oil spill that killed a dozen people and dumped almost five million barrels of oil into the Gulf of Mexico? Or to keep it closer to home, unless you live on the Gulf Coast, in which case you're already close to home, what if some adult is inappropriate with your child and then warns her not to tell? Do we want our kids even to consider that we might disapprove of them in that situation? But I don't want to hear about every little poke, protested Tony. Is that the only way to protect the ocean? I don't know if I can take it. I feel your pain, I laughed. Here's what I can offer you. Michael made a key point. One of the main impulses that drives the urge to tattle is the satisfaction of getting the other kid in trouble. I'd like to remove punishment from the equation and see what happens. What if we responded by accepting feelings, addressing the problem, and offering support if needed without punishing anyone? We can help our kids resolve conflicts when they need our help, or encourage them to work it out between themselves when it seems like they are capable. Tony looked skeptical. Here's what I mean, I said. When a kid says, she poked me, instead of focusing on the perpetrator, we can focus on the victim. We can respond, oh, you didn't like that. Show me where you got poked. Does it need a kiss or a rub? I don't think that would satisfy my girls, said Tony. They would want to know what you're going to do to the poker. I'd say, Hey, Ella, that poke hurt Jenna's arm. She doesn't want to be poked even a little bit. And then I'd wait and see what happens. Maybe Ella will say she's sorry and they'll go back to playing without any more pokes. Maybe there'll be more poking and they'll decide to play separately for a while. I don't know what the outcome will be, 
but I do know that I won't be inspiring them to greater animosity by punishing one or dismissing the other. If one child tells on another for breaking a rule, you can restate the rule and express confidence that they'll respect the rule in the future or help the little rule breaker fix her mistake. Oh, I can see why you'd be worried about Jenna touching the stove controls. If that gets turned on by accident, it can start a fire or let out dangerous gas. Do the two of you want to make some signs for a reminder? They could say danger or do not touch. Or maybe you could draw a picture of fire. What would work best? Oh dear, muddy shoes on the carpet. Let's go bang them outside to get the dirt off. And here's a broom to sweep up the dirt inside. Ah, you got it all. If we ignore the tattler, she'll be confused and frustrated. Why is this rule suddenly not a rule? When we accept her feelings and address the problem, she's going to calm down. By not punishing the perpetrator, we remove the incentive to tattle purely for the pleasure of power.